Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash The Starter. Week 2 Femala Dreadnoughts at the Ionath Krakens. Planet Division Standings. Tied for first with records of 1 0, Hitoni Hullwalkers, Isis Ice Storm, Lou Juggernauts, Mars Planets, Toe Pirates, Wabash Wolfpack. Tied for last with records of 0 1, Alamo Armada, Corana Delana Cloudkillers, Yall Criminals, Themala Dreadnoughts, Inath Krakens. In the Solar Division, tied for first with records of 1 0, New Rodina Astronauts, Board Brigands, Dakau War Dogs, Sala Intrigue, Shora Warlords, and tied for last with records of 0-1, Jang Atom Smashers, Neptune Scarlet Flyers, Jupiter Jacks, Chilich Spider Bears, Vic Vanguard, and Bartel Waterbugs. An excerpt from The GFL for Dummies by Robert Otto. English Language and the Imperial Measurement System Much debate has been made regarding the use of the human-oriented language English as the official language of the GFL. Even more debate has focused on the use of an archaic, arbitrary Earth measurement system known as Imperial. To understand the reasons for these rules, one must look at two factors, the origin of football and the Kretorakian Empire's needs. The term football applies to several Earth-invented sports. The first game to use that name is now commonly known as soccer. Soccer is played with a round, inflated ball. In this game, 10 of the 11 players on each side are not allowed to use their hands. The primary controlling appendage is the foot, hence the original name, football. This game's origins are unclear, but date back some two millennia to possibly as early as 400 B.C., on the Earth historical timeline. Over the centuries, many variations of the game arose, all of which allowed the use of the hands. These sports included Gaelic football, Australian rules football, rugby league, rugby union, and American football, or gridiron. The term football persists for many of these variants, although the Kretorakian Empire Bureau of Species Interaction, the EBSI, has dictated that these sports be officially referred to as the following. Soccer-slash-football known as football. Gaelic football known as Gaelic. Australian rules football known as footy. Rugby league known as league ball. Rugby union known as union ball. And American football known as gridiron. The adoption of these names has been spotty at best. The fact that the primary gridiron league is known as the Galactic Football League is no small source of confusion. 
Gridiron, also known as American football, is an offshoot of the game of rugby. Variations of gridiron were active in the late 1800s on the Earth timeline, but the current version is primarily attributed to Walter Camp, known as the father of American football. Among the changes Camp initiated were the forward pass, where players are allowed to throw the ball downfield to a teammate, the line of scrimmage, the addition of a helmet and other protective equipment, the concepts of down and distance, and changing the players from 15 to a side to 11. While both forms of rugby involve mostly non-stop action, gridiron comes to a complete stop after every play. Teams stop, plan their next play, line up, and run the play. This constant stopping is one of the main things that differentiate gridiron from the other football variants. Camp began these rule changes in 1878 on the Earth timeline. Therefore, League of Planets historians have officially declared 1878 as the first year of modern gridiron. At the time, the game was played with the Imperial Measurement System unit known as a yard. As Earth cultures progressed and most governments switched to the metric system, practitioners of gridiron steadfastly refused to change from yards to meters. The Kretorakians finished their conquest of the galaxy in 2642. At that time, Gridiron had been played for over 750 years, with yards being the official unit of measurement. When League of Planets social scientist Demarcus Johnson created his plan for the Galactic Football League in 2658, he recommended the game be used with existing rules. Hence, yards continues to be accepted as the primary unit of gridiron measurement. Johnson also suggested creating a new language for football, with unique terms for all aspects of the game using sounds that could be pronounced by all races. Kretorakian officials refused this suggestion, however. The ability to quickly master any vocal language is innate for Kretorakians, and as such, they have difficulty comprehending that other species can't do the same. The Empire implemented the GFL to facilitate interspecies cooperation and understanding. They wanted a single language for the game, but did not want to spend time creating a new language, the Kretorakians understood and spoke English, the game of American football used English, and that was that. Because the Empire and the EBSI control the GFL, all official communication related to the game or its coverage is done in English. Language-specific coverage is allowed on a system-by-system -system basis, but the prevalence of English language usage by players, coaches, owners, and GFL officials means that the vast majority of media personnel must also speak English. This emphasis, combined with the galaxy's ravenous appetite for all things GFL, means that English is the fastest-growing language in the known universe. Scalorno Prima, of course, is the galaxy's most common tongue, but that will soon change. It is estimated that 90% of Scalorno are learning English so that they can better understand the game of gridiron. Quentin reared back a big foot and kicked his locker, denting the metal-grade frame. Find? I've been fined? Masal the efficient trembled. His eye flooded an opaque, neon pink. For what? Who find me? Commissioner Froese, Masal said. He finds you for missing the post-game press conference after the ISSI storm game. He can find me for that? Oh, yes, Elder Barnes. You were fined 30,000 credits, Kretorakian. Kretorakian. What was the exchange rate for that in Quith money? Uh, 
Is 30000 a lot? A lot is a relative term, Elder Barnes. Is it a lot for me? This year, you make 1.2 million credits, Credorakian, Masal said. After Credorakian income taxes, Quiff Concordia income taxes, INS City income taxes, and GFL union dues, you make 720,000 credits. But, but that's not fair, Quentin said. That's like 40%. Masal nodded. So I work my ass off and the government takes 40% of what I make? Masal nodded again. His cornea glowed a solid pink. Quentin knew he was terrifying the poor quith worker, but he couldn't stop. Masal, unfortunately, was the only available target for Quentin's temper. So let me get this straight, Quentin said. If I go by Earth calendar year, I work from January to June before I make a penny for myself? Five months of working to give money to other people? Oh, it could be worse, Masal said. You could own a home and pay property taxes. Mr. Tweedy pays over half of his income in taxes. Remind me to never own a home, Quentin said. So, I still don't get it. How much do I actually make per game? There are 12 games in the season, Elder Barnes. You earn 60,000 credits per game after taxes. Quentin stared at the much smaller Quith worker, trying hard to remember that Masal hadn't made the fine, trying to remember that ripping Masal's petty pulp arms off of his skull would neither solve anything nor punish the guilty parties. And I was fined 30000 Quentin said. So I just basically got fined for an entire half of a football game, a half where my life is at risk on every snap? Yes, Elder Barnes. For not going to a press conference? Yes, Elder Barnes. Well, you can just tell them that I'm not going to pay the fine. Masal's trembling grew so bad, the worker dropped down to all fours, his middle arms keeping him stable. Quentin sighed. Masal was just the messenger. Masal, this isn't your fault. You tried to get me to go, so just tell him I won't pay and that's that. The money is already docked from your account, Masal said. Your GFL contract stipulates that the league has a direct connection to your finances in order to receive payment for fines. They already had his money. Quentin wondered what other things were in his contract that he didn't know about. He made a mental note that he should actually read it sometime soon. He'd lost his pay for half of a game. He'd never really given his salary much thought, but that was changing. At one point, just getting paid to play football seemed like the greatest blessing ever. Now, now he realized that sentients who barely sat foot on the field, sentients who were never in danger, made more than he did. At least two governments and a league that took itself way too seriously were helping themselves to his money. And if he suffered a major collision, it wouldn't be the league or the governments getting carted off the field on a med sled. It wouldn't be the league or the governments with a prosthetic leg. And it wouldn't be the league or the governments lying in a casket being lowered into the ground. Quentin had chosen a career where each minute of work might be his last. When he thought about it that way, he knew he'd been wrong. Money did matter. Just one more thing to worry about. He'd deal with it later. Money mattered, but not if the Krakens kept losing. Quentin picked up his helmet and walked out of the locker room.
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Quentin's cleats clacked against the concrete floor of INF Stadium's tunnel clacked and echoed. There would be no echo here on Sunday, not with 185,000 sentients packed into the stands. Aside from the echoing clack, all he heard was the distant sound of his team out on the field, warming up for practice. He walked out of the tunnel, blinking against the blazing sunlight that poured through the city dome. That sunlight lit up hundreds of thousands of empty seats, seats that reached up on all sides, surrounding the field. Usually, the stadium was completely empty for practice, but now he saw a few sentients moving in the stands. Maybe 20, spaced throughout the massive temple dedicated to the glory of football. He held a hand to his forehead, shielding his eyes against the sun. Squinting, he could just make out a key halfway up the first deck. A cop. A cop with a gun. The touchback had come back to INF City at night. Atmospheric fighters had escorted the shuttle down to the roof of the Kraken's building. Kotop the Observer had inspected the shuttle, as usual, but this time, accompanying him, had been a squad of quith warriors dressed in full military armor. The city, the national government, Greedock the Splithead, perhaps all three, weren't taking any chances that terrorists would take another shot at the newly promoted Tier 1 franchise. The team had already gathered at the 50-yard line right on top of the six-armed Kraken's logo painted onto the field. Quentin slowed, then stopped at the 25. He did another slow 360, drinking in the view. If you didn't stop and look with your eyes once in a while, not with a brain that had already stored hundreds of memories of the place, you could lose sight of the fact that INF City Stadium was simply amazing. Stands reached up and out, stretching toward the horizon hidden somewhere beyond. Seats made for all the races, all seats blazing orange, except for those in black that spelled out a hundred-yard-long Ionath on the home side and a hundred-yard-long Krakens on the visitor side. Two decks sandwiched an oblong ring of clear crystal, windows that led into hundreds of luxury boxes. Twenty-two giant pillars rose up from the top decks, 
done in a style that Quentin had been told was Roman. The pillars were made from some kind of marble, apparently imported all the way from Earth. Each pillar rose up 40 feet high, and each supported a colorful, vertical banner that hung down its length. Last season, those pillars had held the banners of the other teams in the Quith Irradiated Conference. There were only 10 teams in the Irradiated. The other 12 columns had stood blank. Quentin had never given the blank columns a second thought. Now, however, each gleaming pillar held a colorful banner, one for each of the 22 Tier 1 teams. This stadium had been built with the expectation that the Krakens would be a permanent part of the Galactic Football Elite. Quentin was here, here at this moment, because he was leading this franchise in its first Tier 1 appearance in six years. He knelt and rubbed his hands over the field's blue surface, let his fingertips drag through the soft coolness of the Iomat plants. He plucked a few of the circular leaves. Each circle was smaller than his pinky nail, a slightly translucent blue. He held one up to the sky, used it to block out the sun. Light streamed through the thin plant, silhouetting its tiny veins like dark blue tentacles. Quentin held the plant to his nose and breathed deep. It smelled like cinnamon. It also smelled like home. He brushed his fingertips together, letting the leaves fall back to the surface. He stood, put on his helmet, and jogged to the center of the field to join his teammates for their final practice before their first home game of the season. The grav cab stopped in front of an apartment building at 6th ring and 2nd radius. Chodo the Bright got out first, looked up and down the street, then waved Quentin out. It looks safe, Chodo said. He dressed as he normally did, Bulky gray pants, no shirt, always preferring to show off his scars, chitin welds, enamels, and engravings. You should be fine here. John is smart enough to live in a place with security. A key guard stood on either side of the big double doors that led inside. The key wore neat blue uniforms with matching blue helmets that hid their eyes and protected their heads. They both stood stone still, a clear deterrent to anyone who might plan bad things. Things like attacking the members of the Ionath Krakens who lived inside the building. Thanks, Chodo, Quentin said. I'll just stay in the lobby and read. Chodo reached into a side pocket of his pants and pulled out a small rectangular object. Quentin leaned down a bit to see the gold lettering embossed into the green leather cover. The title said, Hot Midnight. What is that? Is that an actual book? Like the kind made with dead plants? Yes, it is, Chodo said. I have been trying to learn more about human culture, so I am reading the texts of the ancients. The only way to properly read them is as the ancients did, on dead plants. Have you ever heard of this author, Gunther Jones? Quentin shook his head. Very influential. Extremely misunderstood for his time. Kind of like William Shakespeare. Who? Never mind, Chodo said. You go inside. I'll be in the lobby. And Quentin... Please don't think of leaving without me. I lose you, Greedock will have my shell. I won't, Quentin said, marveling at how Greedock had controlled the situation. Quentin might risk Greedock's anger, but if his teammate Shota would suffer the consequences, then no matter how much it bothered Quentin to have a keeper, he wasn't going to slip away. And Greedock knew that. Quentin walked to the doors, then hesitated. Did he need to show his identification or something? 
As if answering his thoughts, the double doors opened, and a quith worker scurried out. Elder Barnes? Why did every damn worker insist on calling him Elder? Call me Quentin, please. Of course, Elder Quentin, the worker said. Please come in. I am Pizat the Servetus. Servetus? Really? Is that even a word? It is if you say it is. If you say it is not, it is not. Please, come inside. Quentin did. As he passed through the doors, he saw they were made of two-inch-thick crystal. That kind of armor might be found on a space fighter. The lobby's opulence stopped Quentin in his tracks. Everything looked like it belonged on a movie set, or in some documentary about how the rich and famous lived. Tall plants arced gracefully, statues exuded class, and diamond trim lined the wooden wall panels. A step up from his small apartment in the Kraken's building, that was for sure. Man, this is some place, Quentin said. How long has John lived here? Mr. Tweedy has lived here for five years. We had the privilege of selling him his suite shortly after he signed with the Krakens. Obviously, our building caters to humans. Several Kraken players live here, including Donald Pine. Pine lived here? Quentin realized that Pine had never invited him into his home, as John had done. Was there a reason for that? Maybe Pine didn't want to be caught slumming with a hayseed hick like Quentin. No. No, that wasn't fair. Don had to have a reason for not showing hospitality. Didn't he? Here is the elevator, Elder Quentin Barnes. Mr. Tweedy is on the 15th floor, Suite 15B. If you need anything else, don't hesitate to hit any comm button and simply ask. The building staff will be happy to assist you. Quentin took the elevator up to the 15th floor. He didn't have to look for Suite 15B, because wild-eyed John Tweedy was waiting for him outside the elevator. Q! Come on in, brother! I just have to finish this call! Come with me! He followed John down the short hall and through the door to Suite 15B. Inside, football memorabilia seemed to cover every wall and rest on every flat surface, from the entryway into the living room. Pictures and holo frames of John in various uniforms from his career, mostly with the Krakens, but also other teams. A team with bright blue jerseys and silver helmets decorated with a blue lion on the side. A team with black jerseys and yellow numbers, black helmets with a single yellow stripe down the middle, and a team with green and gold uniforms. John looked oldest in the Kraken's pictures, and progressively younger through the others. John picked up a remote control and hit a button. The room's central holotank flared to life, showing a tiny human woman wearing a jersey that was half Kraken's orange with black numbers and half black with metal flake red numbers, the jersey of the orbiting death. The woman's shoulders were practically in her ears. She looked somewhat hunched over, making her even smaller than she already was. A big smile broke across her face. Well, she said, Jonathan, is this your little friend Quentin? That's him, Ma, John said. Quentin, say hello to Ma Tweedy. Families. Quentin never felt comfortable around families. Hello, Mrs. Tweedy. Call me Ma, she said. I've been watching you this season, Quentin. You're not playing too bad, but you've got to start sliding. John leaned and whispered in Quentin's ear. Ma knows a lot about football. Jonathan, no whispering. Sorry, Ma. So, Quentin, you going to start sliding? I mean, if you like getting hit in the mouth, I can send some of my friends from the shipyard to smack you in the face with lead pipes, if you're into that kind of thing. John leaned in again, 
Ma does admin at a shipyard on Orbital Station 1. Jonathan, no whispering! Sorry, Ma. So, Quentin, she said. How about it? You gonna start taking care of yourself and stop taking hits? Uh, yes. Yes what? Uh, yes, ma'am? Such a polite boy, she said. And Jonathan, did you take your brother off hold? Oh, sorry, John said. I forgot. Don't lie to your mother, son. Put him on. John hit another button on the remote. Ma Tweedy's image narrowed and slid to the side as a second image appeared. Quentin instantly recognized the big face. John's brother, Jew. Dillhole, Jew said. Did you leave me on hold? You're the dillhole. Julius, Jonathan, language. Sorry, Ma. Ma, Jew said. Don't go using my full name in front of other people, okay? Shut it, Ma Tweedy said. You and your fancy nicknames. It says Julius on your birth certificate, and that's what I'll call you. Quentin, John tells me you have a fancy new yacht. Yes, ma'am. And you have the wolf pack in week five? Yes, ma'am, and we're going to win that game. There's a difference between dreams and delusions, Quentin. You ain't beating them unless you get some pass blocking. But that doesn't matter. You have three days off in your bye week after you play the wolf pack? Uh, yes, ma'am. Good, she said. John tells me you got no family in Inas City, so you put my son in your fancy yacht and you come visit me at Orbital Station 1. Don't bother saying no, because I'm already planning to make my tuna noodle casserole. Sweet, John and Jew said in unison. Uh, Mrs. Tweedy, I... Can't wait to see you in person. Any friend of Jonathan is welcome in my home at any time. Ma, John said, I gotta get going. I love you. I love you too, son. I'll let you boys go now. I know you have all kinds of fancy things to do while your mother sits here alone in her apartment. But I don't mind. And Julius, you stop seeing that no-good gangster girl. You're going to get yourself shot and break your poor mother's heart. Ma, Jew said, do you mind not airing the family laundry in front of strangers? Quentin is family, Julius. You just keep it in your pants lest someone cut it off. Goodbye, boys. Remember that Mommy loves you. Her face blinked out. Jew's face expanded to fill up the holotank. Ha ha, John said. You got yelled at. You're an idiot, Jew said. No, you're an idiot, John said. Quentin, I guess I'll be seeing you after week five. Okay, Quentin said, not having any idea of what else he could say. And screw you, John, Jew said. Then the holotank blinked out. John started laughing. You jerk, Quentin said. You timed that call, didn't you? The words, who, me, scrolled across John's face. Hey, you're the one with the sweet ride. OS-1 is just a short punch away, not even half a day. And once you've had Ma Tweedy's tuna noodle casserole, you'll thank me. John, I'm not going. Gotta go. Ma said you're going, so you're going. Don't argue with Ma, Quentin. It won't go well. Besides, if I don't get you out of here, you'll spend your three days off studying, right? So you're coming with. Quentin closed his eyes and sighed. Okay, fine. I'll take you. Sweet. John walked to a frame on the wall that held a blue jersey with silver numbers. Thomas Three Lions? You played for them? Tweedy pounded his chest three times. Glory be to Thomas Three! Right, Quentin said, now remembering that John hailed from Thomas Three and was exceedingly proud of his home planet. I don't recognize the other teams, Quentin said. The green and gold is from Fiona's University, Tier 4. University? You took classes in college? I wouldn't exactly say I took classes, 
John said. But I did play for the team. Two years. Then I got drafted by the black and yellow team, the Pittsburgh Steelers. No way, Quentin said. The Steelers? They've been around for like centuries. Over 700 years, John said. Old NFL team, like the Lions were. But the Steelers stayed on Earth when most of the other NFL teams moved to new planets. Cool, Quentin said, impressed that his friend John was so steeped in tradition. Hey, what is a Steeler anyways? It's people who steal stuff. Really? I don't think it's spelled the same. John crossed his arms and gave Quentin that head-shaking, you're-not-that-bright look. Well, Quentin, maybe if they're dumb enough to steal, they're dumb enough to not spell so right. Quentin nodded making a mental note to ask his room computer about the name later that night. Is Pittsburgh a cool city? Q, there isn't a cool city left on Earth. Everything is just so... so old, run down. The Steelers were Tier 3, but it was still really fun to get paid to play football. We won a Super Bowl before I got picked up by the Lions and moved into Tier 2 right on my home planet. Man, that must have been cool. John nodded and smiled. Big man on campus equals John Tweedy played across his forehead. It was awesome. I went from a small town to Fiona Sioux, then I came home as a T2 player for the biggest team on Thomas Three. Quentin wondered what it might be like to go back and play for the Purist Nation's only upper-tier team, the Buddha City Elite, of the Planetary Union Conference in Tier 2. Would he be welcomed as a hero or as a traitor to the religion? Well, hopefully, he'd never have to find out. The only way he was going back to the Purist Nation was if the Elite made it into Tier 1 and the Krakens had an away game against them. Come on, John said. Let me show you around the place. The apartment wasn't some sprawling mansion, but in the landlocked circle of Ionath City, the amount of space John did have had to carry a high price tag. Everything in the three-bedroom place looked new. New and expensive. In one room, John had old-fashioned workout equipment. Racks of circular black metal plates, different sizes marking different weights. Quentin hadn't seen weights like that since he'd left McCovey. He saw a bench press with a gleaming chromed bar, a squat rack, a curl bench, and other workout machines. Nice, Quentin said. The real thing, huh? John nodded. One of the first things I bought with football money. Antique set, something like 400 years old. With all the biometric workout machines we get from Hocor, you really can't find stuff like this anymore. You can where I come from. Quentin said. Back home, sets like you've got here are state-of-the-art. You guys have discovered fire, haven't you? Quentin rolled his eyes and looked around the room. Only then did he realize that the walls, ceiling, and even the floor were action shots of John's brother, Jew, dressed in the black uniform of the orbiting death. Hey, John, miss your brother much? Whatever, John said. It's motivation, so if we play each other again, I can beat his ass. Quentin said nothing remembering how the Mad Jew had ripped the Krakens for 179 rushing yards and four touchdowns. The Krakens had won 35-31, to but any ass-kicking by the Tweedy family had come from Jew. Why don't you guys get along? Because Jew is a selfish idiot. He only thinks about himself, doesn't think about what his actions do to others. You know the orbiting death owner? Um, sick of the death, right? Yeah, a nasty gangster man. Real nasty. He and Jew are good buddies. Want to know how dumb Jew is? Quentin nodded. One of Sika's lieutenants is Anna Villani. Her girlfriend is Grace McDermott. Jew is seeing Grace on the side. Seeing? You mean like dating? I wouldn't exactly call it dating, 
John said. Jew thinks no one knows that, and even if they did, he thinks nobody will touch him because he's buddy-buddy with sick of the death, and because he's the biggest star on Orbital Station 1. So, your brother is seeing the girlfriend of a powerful gangster in the organization that owns his team? John nodded. Yep. Sounds stupid. Beyond stupid, John said. You play with fire, you're going to get the horns, Quentin. Remember I said that. How could I forget? John stared at one of Jew's pictures. In the picture, Jew had his big head and wide shoulders lowered, blue eyes peeking out from just under the flat black helmet. It was an excellent shot, capturing what it must feel like to be a defensive back stepping up to tackle a walking tank like Jew. Someday, John said, my little brother is going to get in trouble he can't get out of. And you know what? His big brother John won't be coming to bail him out this time. This time? Have there been other times before? Jew and trouble go together like peas in a glove. But that doesn't matter. He's on his own. Let's get out of here. I can't even stand his stupid face. John finished the tour in the entertainment room, where a large holotank showed the hovering logo of a video game, Madden 2684. John, no way. The new version of Madden? That doesn't come out for another week. How did you get it? Because people love Uncle Johnny. Hey, and guess who they have as quarterback for the INF Krakens? No way. Quentin sat in one of the room's two big recliners. He slipped on the fingertip controllers that were sitting on the armrest. John did the same in the other chair. Within seconds, both players selected teams. Quentin chose the Ionath Krakens, of course, and so did John. Come on, John, Krakens versus Krakens? You don't want another team? If they have you as quarterback, who do you think they have as the inside linebacker? Quentin smiled and nodded. Ah, yes, I see. And in the video game, there's no red jerseys, John said, finishing Quentin's sentence. Prepare to be knocked into the Stone Age, backwater. Just bring it, Uncle Johnny. Moments later, Quentin stared into the holotank at something he'd never dared believe he might actually see, a lifelike representation of himself. He'd played the various versions of Madden more times than he remembered, played as all the great quarterbacks, Zimmer, Aronic, even Don Pine, even though he'd never tell Pine that. And now, he was playing himself. It was a surreal experience. Quentin selected a play and watched his team line up. So realistic, just like watching a game on the holo. His offense wore orange visitor jerseys. John's defense wore the home black. Quentin saw the video game version of John Tweedy creep up behind the nose guard, just a little. Quentin's fingers tapped open air, calling up an audible. He twitched his left thumb, snapping the ball. Sure enough, John's holo linebacker roared through the line on a blitz. Quentin's holo quarterback calmly threw to the holo tight end, in this case, Rick Warburg, who caught the ball right where John's holo linebacker would have been. Jerk, John said. You see everything. I should know better than a blitz against you. Yeah, you should. John, I have to say, your apartment is awesome. Thanks. What's a place like this go for, if I can ask? Sure, John said. Cost me seven million. Quentin paused the game. Seven million? How can you afford that? That's a season's pay, John said. Not that weird. You make seven million in one season? Yeah, John said. Why, how much do you make? 1.2, Quentin said quietly. I thought that was a lot. Q, 
1.2 million is league minimum. League minimum? You mean like as in minimum? John nodded. Yeah, brother. Sorry to be the one to tell you. What does your agent say? I don't have one. John said. Well, that explains a lot. Minimum? Is that what Yitzhak makes? Oh, no way. Yitzhak makes more than that for sure. Becca the Recca probably makes league minimum, though. She makes what I make? Hey, should I ask her out? What? Like on a date, John said. Is that weird to date someone on your own team? Yeah, Quentin said quickly. It's weird. Don't do it. Quentin sat back in the chair again. Becca made as much as he did? A backup fullback? And why did he care if John dated her? That was none of his business. And league minimum? $1.2 million had seemed like a fortune. Well, it was a fortune. But if other people were making so much more, it was all too much. Too overwhelming. He didn't want to think about anything but football. Let's just play the game, Uncle Johnny. I'm done talking for a little while. John shrugged, then unpaused the game. They continued with the Krakens versus the Krakens until the game finished. Quentin won 28-10. Then Quentin let Shoto take him home. The entire way there, he thought about a conversation he needed to have with Greedock the Splithead. A conversation about money. It would wait until the season's end, but it would happen. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League Series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.